God, thank you so much for your grace and your mercy in our lives. God, we love you. And we come this morning uh, to worship. God, we sing your praise. We sing about your holiness this morning. We sing just about how great you are. We sing uh, glory to your name this morning. We just we give you all the praise and all the glory, God. We come to worship. And so, God, as we come and as part of this worship, we, we want to hear from you. We want to we hear from your voice out of your word, God. We know that you speak through your word. And so, God, I just pray this morning that you would speak through me once again. Would the words that come out of my mouth be your words for your people on your day, God? If we are here for anything else, we are, we are missing out. And no one came to hear from Pastor Chris today. We all come to hear from you. Would you speak through me and speak through your word as we continue our series. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We are actually in part three of our More Than a Feeling series. Uh, part one, uh, I think this is actually week 20, 21, I think, is of, of this More Than a Feeling series uh, and three eight-week parts of part one. Really, we just began talking about what do we believe in this culture of uh, where people are telling us this is a post-truth culture where people can have their own truth. Your truth, you can have your truth, I can have my truth. They don't have to match because what's yours is your truth and what's mine is my truth. There is no absolute truth. But we believe in absolute truth. We believe this book has everything that we need to know about God, about what we believe. And so those first eight weeks we spent talking about this question, what do we believe? The second eight weeks, we started talking about this question, if we believe what we say we believe, if what we believe is more than just a feeling, then how do we live? What are some practices that we need to have in our lives that say, look, I I believe what I say I believe, I believe this and I believe it's more than a feeling, so now what do I do? How do I live as though what I believe is more than just a feeling? So we went through some of the practices that we have as believers in part three, which we are in week five of now, uh, is talking about this. Who, who am I becoming? If what I believe is what I believe, and these are some of the practices that God has put into place for me through his word, who, who am I becoming? What kind of person Am I becoming? Who is God calling me to be? We've been talking about some characteristics and some virtues of, of Christ followers. And so we've, we talked about having a renewed mind out of Romans chapter 12. The next week we talked about perseverance, having perseverance, particularly in our prayer life, persevering in prayer, keeping on praying, remembering just like Daniel, that when we prayed the very first time, our words were heard by God. And then the, two weeks ago, we talked about submission to God, James chapter 4, submitting every single part of our lives to God, submitting our desires and our hopes and our dreams and our relationships and our future to a God who is bigger and more powerful than anything that we could do. We submit to him. Last week, I'm thankful for Bill talking about love, talking about love as, as something we need to have as believers. And today, uh, we're going to continue here talking about compassion. Uh, we're going to talk about compassion, something that, something that each of us as believers should have. And to do this, I want to really open up and talk about two different stories from two different gospels. The very first story is going to be in Mark chapter 6, if you want to turn there. Mark chapter 6, uh, Jesus is uh, with his disciples. Mark chapter 6, we're going to start at verse 30. If you're in one of our pew Bibles, that's on page uh, 864. Uh, Mark chapter 6. 
starting at verse 30. Uh, let's just, I'll go ahead and read this, and then we will uh, kind of unpack this a little bit. Verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Actually, let's back up here because that sentence doesn't make sense, right? Let's, uh, let's go back. The beginning of Mark chapter 6, what are, what are they reporting to him? Actually, at the beginning of Mark chapter 6, Jesus sends out his disciples uh, in pairs, gives them the authority to drive out demons. Uh, in chapter 6, starting at verse 6, he says, uh, uh, Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. Calling the twelve to him, he began to send them out two by two, gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out, preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. And so now, as we begin our passage in verse 30, we'll start again here, we see these disciples who, this is actually the very first time that Scripture calls them the apostles, the sent out ones, the disciples, not just followers of Jesus, but the ones who are sent out by Jesus. These apostles, they come back and they're gathered around Jesus and they're trying to tell Jesus all these stories from what they've just done. And you can imagine their excitement as they come back to tell Jesus, Jesus, you will never understand, you, you, you wouldn't believe all the things that we were doing we were driving out demons we were healing sick people and Jesus is like well actually I sent you out to do that so I do believe that happened but that's cool right uh, so Jesus is probably excited for him wants to hear these stories they're trying to tell stories uh, but uh, verse 31 then because so many people were coming and going they didn't have a chance to eat he said to them come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest so they went ahead went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot ahead, <clears throat> ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. Which, this just amazes me every time I read this. Jesus is with fishermen and they can't beat the runners to the next spot. <laughs> Think about that. Right? Jesus is there. So, uh, they, I'm sorry, when Jesus, sorry, where am I at? Okay. Uh, but many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns. And got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and ask, go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. 
Now, this is, it might be a familiar story. You've probably at least heard of the feeding of the 5,000. And I just, I find this story very interesting and compelling when we're starting to talk about this idea of compassion in believers. And here's why. I mean, Jesus Jesus calls these guys to rest. They go away by themselves. People are out running the boat. They're meeting them there. You can just imagine, you know, pulling into the cove, and there's people. And they go to another cove, and there's people. And there's another cove, and there's people. They just can't get away from these people. But Jesus, it says, uh, there's, there's really two reactions to this, right? Two reactions that we have in this scripture to all these people being on the shore. The first one is Jesus. Verse 34, when Jesus landed... Not when they landed. This is not a complete picture of Jesus and the disciples. It just says, when Jesus landed. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. Now, this word compassion is not just a, a word of sympathy. It's not just a word of recognizing that there is something wrong here. This, this is a, a deep sense of compassion. Actually, the Greek word here is splanknizomai, uh, which is a long word that I won't even spell out for you, but just trust me that it's there. Uh, splanknizomai uh, is, is really talking about this deep sense of compassion. The splankna in Greek language is like the guts. It's like the innards of something. And it's so you can imagine this, this word here, this kind of compassion that Scripture is telling us that Jesus had is a kind of compassion that's so much deeper than just sympathy. It comes from the very deepest part. It's like he's feeling this compassion from within the deepest parts of who he is, from his guts. It says Jesus, when he landed, he saw these crowds and he had this deep sense of compassion on them. This word is used 12 times in the New Testament, 11 times just God. This is the kind of compassion that God has. We'll talk about the 12th time later. But this, this word, this deep kind of compassion, it is a, it's kind of a, a holy kind of compassion. It's one that comes from deep within. It's deeper than just sympathy. It's deeper than just kindness. This compassion is something that we feel deep within ourselves. Jesus, it says, felt this kind of compassion towards these people. This, this word is actually related to the Hebrew word, uh, rakamin, which means the womb of Yahweh. Just if, if the splankna, if talking about being compassionate from your guts is not enough, this word is, is related to the womb of Yahweh. This compassion that Jesus feels can only be described by coming from the womb of Yahweh, the deepest parts of God. This is the kind of compassion that he has on them. And so instead of, instead of just sitting down and giving them something, he begins to teach them. He understands their deepest need is not just food or water or whatever, healing even. He sits down and begins to teach them. This is Jesus' reaction. This is a, a reaction of compassion from, from Jesus. And then the disciples come out. And theirs is, theirs is a reaction of compassion as well, but it's not quite a deep compassion. Because here's what, here's what happens in verse 36 or 35 when the disciples come out. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said. 
It's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. You can see here, the disciples, sometimes we look at this and we're like, man, these disciples, they just don't get it. They just don't get what they're with Jesus. But the disciples saw a need that was about to come. This was their, they were still showing compassion, just wasn't the same kind of compassion that Jesus was showing. He's saying, look, these people, the disciples are like, these guys over here, these guys have been sitting here. We're in a remote place. We took a boat to get here. They ran. They're hungry. If they're not, they're going to be. We need to send these guys back home so they can eat. Basically, I don't want anybody to starve on my watch. That's what these disciples are thinking. Now, this is, this is kind of a, another sense of compassion here. These, these disciples are showing compassion in a different way. Look, you're, these people are going to be hungry. Send them away so they can eat. Now, there might be a little bit of motive behind that. Send them away so we can keep telling you these stories of what, all the stuff that we just did. Tell, send them away so we can hang out with you. Send them away so we can actually rest like you told us to. Right, but send them away so they can eat. There's a, there's a sense of compassion there. There's a sense of this. And then Jesus just tells them, you do it. You feed them. You feed them. Now, have you ever been, been hungry and tired and then got what you felt was a stupid question asked to you? <laughs> do, you do you understand how you reacted in that situation? Now, I remember, these guys are going to get rest. They're hungry, and Jesus tells them, you feed all these people. And their reaction is pretty understandable. Right? This would take half a year's wages, Jesus. Do you expect us just to go and to buy all of this bread so these people can eat? Just send them away. And Jesus says, you do it. You feed them. You feed them. I mean, are you serious? Are you serious? But Jesus doesn't bat an eye. Go, go find something. Go, go see what you can find. So they go. They see what they can find. They come back with five loaves and two fish. You know, the, the end of this story says that 5,000 men ate that day. There's some speculation that there, that's just counting the men, right? Not women or children. Uh, but I was thinking as I was getting ready for this this morning, I don't, I'm, I don't know that there were women in that crowd because I'm pretty sure if there were women like my wife in that crowd, there would have been way more than five loaves and two fishes. Right? Like, she, she pulls food out of her purse like it's nothing. Like, I'm hungry. Oh, here's some pretzels. Here's some goldfish. Like, there was nothing other than, you know, 5,000 men. Anyways, I'm getting off track here. <laughs> but, anyways, they come. They bring this to Jesus. Jesus blesses it, sends it out. Everyone eats, and they're satisfied. Now, the, the translation here goes something like this, if this was translated into our language today. Everyone ate until they couldn't eat anymore. Everyone ate until they could not eat another bite. And there were 12 basketfuls left over. Now, I just, I just think of this. You know, I think of that, that crowd, just in the, in the big picture. I think of that crowd. And I think 
because of the compassion that Jesus had on these people, every single one of them experienced the provision of God. Every single one of those 5,000 men and, and pluses experienced provision of God because of compassion that was shown by Jesus and the disciples. Now, Pastor Chris, this, this compassion, that's because he was Jesus, right? Uh, you're not expecting us to have this same kind of, of compassion, right? This is, this is a God kind of compassion, this, this from the deep within, this deepest core, this deepest part, from the compassion from our guts. Like, are you saying we should have this kind of compassion? And I'm just saying, no, I'm not saying that. Jesus is saying that. In fact, if you turn one gospel over to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 10, there's another story. And this word shows up again, this splanknizomai word. This is another familiar story, the story of the, uh, the Good Samaritan. Now, this story begins in Luke chapter 10, verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? I just want to pause here before we go into this story. This man that is talking with Jesus is an expert in the law. Meaning, he, there's a good chance that this man talking to Jesus has the Hebrew Scriptures, all of the Old Testament, memorized. He's an expert. He knows it. Now, commonplace these days was to go and ask a rabbi what he thinks about a certain topic. What he thinks about this verse, or what he thinks about what, what Leviticus says here, or what, what Deuteronomy says here. What do you think about this? And so this expert in law goes and he's asking Jesus, a rabbi, a question. Now, Jesus either knows the guy or knows of the guy because he knows what he's doing because he flips the question on him. Now, this man came to ask Jesus a question. Jesus asked him a question. Jesus is the best at turning questions into questions. He says, well, what does the law say? Jesus is now asking an expert in the law, what does the law say about this? So this man quotes the Shema, Deuteronomy chapter 6, Verse 4 and 5. Love your Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your strength. And he has love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus is like, well said. This is great. You're doing, you're doing a great job. But this man isn't good. In, like, he, he wants to be the one that asks the questions, right? Like, hold on. I answered my own question. It's not what I was looking for. So let me justify myself here and ask another question. Who is my neighbor? So then Jesus begins to tell this story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now this, this verse right here uh, could have been a headline on every newspaper every day in this culture. This is a commonplace thing on this road. It was actually called the Road of Blood. There was a lot of, lot of this that would happen on this road from Jerusalem over this is a common thing. So people are like, okay, I, I, I can put myself here. I can see this. I can relate to this. A priest happened to be going down the same road 
When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, took pity on him. This, this is the word here. Uh, this took pity on him is the same word as Jesus having compassion on the crowd. Splanknizomai, right? When he saw him, he took pity on him, meaning when he saw him from the very core of who he was, he felt for this man. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Now again, Jesus answering a question with a question. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Here's the you do it moment. You do it. So there's, there's a couple twists that happen in this story. Here's the, the first twist. The first twist is that a priest and a Levite would walk by this guy. Now, remember who Jesus is talking to. Jesus is talking to an expert in the law. To an expert in the law, other experts in the law would probably want to be the heroes of this story. But these two experts walk by the guy. Now, there's some speculation as to why. And there's a lot of good speculation as to why. Maybe they, were, maybe they thought it was too late. Maybe they thought he was already dead. If they touch a dead body, they'll be unclean, can't fulfill their duties. Maybe it was too risky. Maybe the robbers were still around and they were just using this guy as a decoy. There's a lot of excuses, a lot of reasons why these men wouldn't have done it. None of them are too great because this is why. To the Jewish people, protecting life was one of the most important things you could do. In fact, Leviticus chapter 19, verse 16 says this. Actually, I can't. Let me, let me read this. I don't want to get it right. It says this. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Now, rabbis would interpret this to say, basically, don't just stand by the blood of your neighbor and do nothing. And, and, and a matter of fact, they would say, if, if you see someone drowning and you can swim but do nothing, you have drowned that person. If you see someone bleeding on the side of the road and walk by, you are just as bad as the robbers who left him that way. This is a rule that they live by. And so the fact that a priest and a Levite would walk by this man who is bleeding and dying on the side of the road is a major twist in this story. Now here's the next twist. A Samaritan, who is hated at this point, who is one of those people who, who probably you don't want to have compassion on if you're a Jewish person. You don't want to have to love them or like them or even talk to them or shake hands with them. You don't even want to be around them. There was such animosity between the Jewish people and the Samaritans. It was like the Hatfields and the McCoys. They just, they just didn't get along, and they weren't going to. And so along comes this Samaritan, and this Samaritan sees this Jewish man on the side of the road, bleeding and dying. And it says that when he saw him, 
he took pity on him. When he saw him, he had splanchnizomai. He felt it in the core of who he was, this compassion for this guy. That within him, he could not walk by. He could not do anything but help this guy because he felt it on such a deep level. On such a deep level enough to take him to an inn and say, take care of this guy. Here's some money. If it's, if it's more than this, I'll come back and pay that as well. Just make sure he's healthy. This is a deep kind of compassion that, that we're having here. And again, this is, this is a parable. This isn't a true story. But at the end here, Jesus says, who was the one who, who had compassion? Who was the one who was the neighbor? And the, the expert in the law, he won't even say the Samaritan. The word won't even come out of his mouth. He just says, the one who had mercy. The one who showed compassion was the neighbor. And Jesus, in his you do it moment says go and do likewise now just think about the implications here of this story this guy an expert in the law is he's curious he's honestly asking a question how do I inherit eternal life how do I go to heaven? How do I do this? How do I do this the right way? What does the law say? The law says, love God and love others. Nice job. Let me tell you a story. This is what it means to love others. It means to have compassion on them. It means that you, when you see someone, you feel it, not just in a sympathetic or, or just... That, or a kind of a surface level compassion kind of way, but as followers who believe what we say we believe and do the things that are in this book that say we need to be doing. If we're practicing and we believe and we're trying to build up the virtues and characteristics of a Christ follower, this compassion, this deep sense within us, this, this splanchnizomai, this compassion from our guts should be a part of who we are. question remains, why? Why? Why would God expect us to have this kind of compassion towards other people? Why would God put that on us to say, you know, go and do likewise? This same compassion the Samaritan had on this guy, the, the Samaritan who went to the enemy, essentially, and said, let me take care of you. Let me, let me put you up in a room and make sure you're good to go, even if it costs me Whatever it's going to cost him a lot. This kind of, why are we expected to have this compassion? I want you to see the end goal of both of these stories. In Mark chapter 6, Jesus feeds 5,000 men and their pluses. What happens at the end of that story? They all eat, they're satisfied, dot, dot, dot. All of these people... They go home, and they begin to tell the story about what God did through Jesus and through the disciples, how their lives were changed, how they saw God's glory made known, how you'll never believe what happened. Look at who God is from the compassion of Jesus and the disciples. Now, come over to Luke chapter 10 with me. 
What's the dot, dot, dot on the end of this story? I know it's a parable, but pretend with me. This guy wakes up in a hotel, bandaged, but okay. You can imagine he goes down to the innkeeper. Hey, what happened? You were in an accident. You were robbed, you were beaten, you were left for dead. And a Samaritan saw you, brought you here, paid for you. You just stay here and get healthy. Like, what? Like, I, I, I hate Samaritans. Who is a Samaritan that is doing this for me? This, this should not be, this does not compute. Why doesn't it compute? Because this compassion that only comes from the, basically from God within us makes a difference in people's lives. This guy who was beaten and left for dead forever will tell the story of a day when his enemy took care of him and took compassion on him. That's powerful. See, the end goal of our compassion it, the reason we're called to this compassion is so that God's glory would be made known, so that God's name would be made known, that God would, would go further out, the kingdom would be built, that people would come to know who God is through the people of God. We are the hands and the feet that God has on this earth, and he's calling us to compassion so that his glory would be made known so that his name would be named, made great. Now we might get a news story. We might be on the news, news interviewing us. How, why would you, why, I just want to interview you. You've just been so compassionate, so caring. Why do you do that? Because God is good. God has called me to it. Even when we get the glory, God gets the glory. This is the point of compassion. That God would be glorified. This is the end goal. And this same kind of compassion, this compassion that comes from the deepest parts within us, thanks, this compassion that comes from the splank, the guts, that we feel it in our guts, this compassion towards other people, is the kind of compassion that God is calling us to. Now, my prayer for us this week is this, that God would present us an opportunity to be compassionate. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what it looks like for you. I don't know what it looks like for me. I'm sure you got a lot of stuff going on this week. So do I. But let's be looking for places to be compassionate. Let's go take this word, this you do it word from God, this, this go and do likewise word from Jesus and say, I'm going to be compassionate. Because this is the kind of person that God is calling me to be. This is who I'm becoming. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for who you are. For all that you're doing in and through our lives. God, I just, I, I just pray over us as a church right now that we would be a church that is known for our compassion. 
and that this compassion that we show would be just something that's leading people to you. God, we want to give you the glory. We want to give you the honor. We want to appoint people to you, God. We know that as we are compassionate towards one another, as we are compassionate to those outside of these walls, as we are compassionate to everyone that we meet, even our enemies, even our Samaritans, God, you get the glory. God, will we give you glory this week through our compassion? Would you go ahead of us? Would you go with us as we go? Would you be in our workplaces? Would you be in our homes? Would you be in our conversations, in our cars? That everywhere we go, that we would, we would speak your name, that we would speak your truth, that every conversation would lead to you, that every one that we meet would see you in us, God, that we would make a difference for you wherever we may find ourselves. God, we love you. We give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? If you're new, we end the service every time in the same way. We just ask that you hold your hands out. Just receive a blessing from us. Or not from us. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you receive a blessing from me or not. This is a blessing from God uh, as you go for your week. Let's, let's. May our God, God of grace and love and compassion, may he remind you of how he's been compassionate to you. And may you take that and move it forward and be compassionate to others. May you go in the power of the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Go in peace. Thanks for coming today.